Test, test. It's on. Good morning. Happy Easter. He is risen. I like to lark back to my Anglican roots from time to time. Oh dear. We don't do the festivals very well. I apologise in advance for this talk. I've tried to kind of centre it around the cross. We kind of tend to leave that stuff to the people that are good at it, you know. But we celebrate Easter every day, don't we? Um, We don't need to kind of necessarily do it at different times, but it's fun. It's fun to join together and remember. uh, As we were worshipping there, I was just uh, thinking of that scripture where it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So he's the... Re- Let me kind of put that into a modern translation. Come back. It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those that sincerely seek him. Okay, and... You know, part of what this is about, why do, we, why do we do this? Why do we get together? Why do we kind of then stand up in front of people and kind of talk and say various things? Well, the truth of the matter is that we have become convinced of something that is amazing, that is absolutely amazing, that actually God does exist. He is real. You know, and you can kind of come and talk to me about some of the kind of journey that I've been through personally, my testimony, if you like, that has proved beyond a shadow of a doubt in my life that he exists. He's real. He is kind of there and he is supernatural and he wants to be involved in our lives. It's, there is no turning back for me now, okay? At various stages in my life, I thought, oh, like, forget this then. This is too hard, you know. Let's go and do something else. Let's get a proper job or whatever. But actually, now we've just come too far. God is very real. He exists. And he rewards those that earnestly or diligently seek him. And so I kind of pray that blessing upon every single person here who are on that journey, kind of just listen. I've I've become convinced, so kind of listen to what I've got to say because I think it is real and it is worth earnestly and diligently seeking. As old Nicky Gumbel said on the Alpha course, you know, you can can disagree with it, um, you can kind of uh, be a bit ambivalent about it, but what you can't do is ignore it because the, the chance that, it may just be right. Well, the consequences of that and the fruit of that whole truth is very important and may just change your whole life. So I would encourage you, say, okay, here's someone standing the other side of the fence who used to be a sceptical engineering sort who wanted to analyse everything. I've come this side of it and said, oh my goodness, right, this is real. So... Let's just, let's just go for that. Um, so, I did want to actually look at a couple of things this morning, um, which I felt like uh, God has sh- shown me over the last week. Um, starting off with a kind of very basic thing of like, what, did, what happened at the crucifixion? What did the cross achieve? What was it actually all about? So, that's kind of one thing, okay? And then I want to go on and look at 
So what entitles us to receive those benefits of what happened on the cross? Okay. So number one, we're going to look at the benefits. And number two, we're going to look at, so what entitles us to receive those benefits? Okay. Quite often, when we think about the cross, and particularly at Easter, we're thinking about Jesus, how he shed his blood, how um, he uh, kind of went through the trauma and trial of the cross purely for our salvation. Okay, this is kind of the traditional view that I grew up with. You know, you turn or burn sort of thing. If you don't get saved, you're going to end up going to hell or whatever. But actually, I have come to learn through my experience of, in, of encountering the kind of very real, tangible presence of God and knowing him intimately and hearing his voice and hearing, kind of understanding that relationship that I have grown into over a, a period of some 40 years, that actually there is so much more to it. So much more to it. So I want to just look at, at some of that this morning. The... We'll start off with what we call the simple gospel, okay? I once heard, uh, what was his name? I've forgotten now. T.L. TL and Daisy Osborne. Have anyone heard of those from years and years and years and years and years ago? I mean, he was old when I saw him about 30 years ago. So, um, but he was a great guy and he had been all over the world. He was a real old-fashioned preacher and... Uh, he said he'd been to kind of lots of different nations all over the world. And he said, basically, if you cannot translate your ideas or your theology into the simplest dialect in the world, then I'm not interested. It ought to be understandable by the least educated person in the world. Okay? And he said, I believe it is. And he would say that the principle of the gospel... The print uh, that are communicated in the Bible can be summed up almost in a sentence. Okay, and it starts off with it's quite a long sentence, so bear with me. <laughs> God created man and put him on the earth. Okay, he created him in perfection, he created him in health, he created him in provision, he created him in peace. He created him in good relationship with his wife. He created him in good relationship with God himself. The picture is given in Genesis, where man used to walk with God in the cool of the day and communicate, and they did things together, and all was good. Everything was perfect. But it went wrong. Man chose to go his own way and do the one thing that God said, I wouldn't do this if I were you. Okay? Man chose to say, right, I want to do that because actually that's what I want to do. And did it and in doing so separated himself from God. A gap appeared. And from that point, sin came into the earth and everything started going wrong. Sickness came in, arguments came in, toil, strife, lack, all sorts of things began to come in at that point where man departed from God's best way. He said, you've got all of these things in the garden to richly enjoy. But if I were you, I just wouldn't do that one thing over there. Okay, and of course, man, that was the thing he really wanted to do, having been told he couldn't do it. But all of these things came in. The good news is that Jesus came 
shed his blood on the cross and won back the right for us to go back in the garden. He broke the curse of every one of those bad things that came upon us when man went his own way in the garden. So God created man perfectly, beautifully in the garden. He lost that perfection and that peace through sin. Jesus came, shed his blood and won it all back for us. Not just salvation, not just the promise that one day we would go to heaven and be with him, but actually all the good stuff in the garden. So that's the truth. That's the truth of the gospel. And what I want to do is look at that a little bit uh, in depth today and to look at physically what that means. Okay. So we're going to have a look at a couple of chapters in Deuteronomy. Oh my goodness, we're going into serious Old Testament law area. But it's actually very good. And I have a kind of real personal testimony around this. And it's, it's an area that is called the blessings and cursings of the law. Okay. Now what it was, so we'll get, in the Old Testament, once man had gone through this thing of departing from God's way and this separation came, God provided a way that man could manage his existence and kind of stay in connection with God. And it was called the law. And the gist of it was, basically, if you do these things, okay, my presence can dwell with you. You remember when Israel were walking around in um, the wilderness, there was the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud going with them, the presence was with them, the things worked out well, they got their provision, the enemies were separated from them, all sorts of good stuff happened. When they went into disobedience, the presence of God could not dwell with them and had to leave because God is a holy God and he cannot dwell with sin. So the presence left. Then all this bad stuff started happening. The enemies started coming in and overtaking them and all of this sort of stuff. So these blessings and cursings of the law were some of the detail of what would happen. So we'll start off with the blessings, all right? Deuteronomy 28. And it said... If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all of his commands that I am giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all of these blessings if you obey, if you obey, if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds, your flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. They will attack you from one direction, but scatter from you in seven. The Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do and will fill your storehouses with grain. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, the Lord will establish you as his holy people as he swore he would do. Then all the nations of the world will see when you are a people claimed by the Lord and they will stand in awe of you. The Lord will give you prosperity in the land that he swore uh, to your ancestors to give you, blessing you with many children, numerous livestock, abundant crops, 
The Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens and will bless the work you do. You will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from them. If you listen to these commands of the Lord, your God, that I'm giving you today, and if you carefully obey them, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You will always be on the top and never the bottom. You must not turn away from any of them that I'm giving you today, nor follow any other gods or worship them. That's the blessings. Sounds pretty good to me. That was the blessings that he promised to put on his people if they just listened, listened to what he was saying and were obedient to it. Now, it's like I say, you know, all of that comes down to if they were obedient, if they kept themselves separate from false gods, from sexual immorality, from all the different things that defiled them, God's presence was able to dwell with them. And there was a blessing that came from that. There was a blessing from the presence of God being with them. Now, the next bit that goes on in the second half of 28 from verse 15, and I'm not going to read the whole thing out because it really does go on and on and on and on. But I'm going to summarise a few bits, okay? It's called Curses for Disobedience. But if you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and do not obey all the commands and decrees I'm giving you, then all of these curses will come on and overwhelm you. Your towns and your fields will be cursed. Your fruit baskets and and breadboards will be cursed. Your children and your crops will be cursed. Wherever you go and whatever you do will be cursed. Wasting diseases, fever, inflammation, scorching heat and drought with blight and mildew. You'll be defeated by your enemies. You'll be attacked by your enemies from one direction but scatter uh, scatter from them in seven. You'll be an object of horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. This This is like a key verse that explains it. Your corpses will be food for all the scavenging birds and wild animals and no one will be there to chase them away. This is the thing. You see, when the presence of God dwells with us, it's like it keeps this stuff at bay. It's like the pillar of fire. It kept all the wild animals away at night. The pillar of cloud kept the scorching heat off them in the middle of the wilderness. It was like they had their special uh, atmosphere as they walked around. It goes on. There's more. It says, there will, The boils of Egypt with tumours, scurvy and the itch. Oh my goodness, that sounds unpleasant. Madness, blindness, panic. You'll be oppressed and robbed continually. You'll be engaged to a woman, but another man will sleep with her. Immorality. You will build a house, but someone else will live in it. Repossession. All of these different things. You will plant a vineyard, but never enjoy its fruit. Your sons and daughters will be taken away as slaves. Your heart will break for them. Your knees and your legs will have incurable boils. It does sound a bit Monty Python-esque at times, these curses. But it's in there. The foreigners living among you will become stronger and stronger while you become weaker and weaker. They will lend money to you, but you will not lend to them. They will be the head and you will be the tail. You will be left hungry, thirsty, naked, lacking in everything. The most tender-hearted man among you will have no compassion for his own brother. Your heart will tremble, your eyesight will fail and your soul will despair. So, you kind of get the picture, don't you? Presence of God with you, the good stuff happens. Absence of the presence of God, all of these things can like start coming on and having an effect and overwhelming you. Okay, so 
Let's now skip from the Old Testament into the New Testament and let's go to Galatians 3.13. And this is the good news part of it and we're talking about what has the cross done for us. So Galatians 3.13 says, For Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Now the law, when you read the law, it means those first five books of the Bible. That is what they, the Pentateuch it's called. And it is commonly called the law. And it is the kind of set of rules. So, and when it makes reference to the curse of the law, it's talking about those things that I just read out. The boils, the tumours, all of that sort of stuff. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That's us. We are the Gentiles, the non-Jews. So that, the, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Okay. This is the important thing. The promise of the Spirit. When Jesus went, when he ascended into heaven after he had risen from the dead, he said, I've got to go so that another may be sent to you, the Holy Spirit. Okay, and this is the promised Holy Spirit. So we now know that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, kind of all of that bad stuff, and that's a promise. That's a promise to you that if you can receive it through faith, you know, in that Hebrews verse that I read out, or maybe another one quite near it. It says all the promises of God are inherited through faith and patience. You, you receive a promise through faith. You believe it and you put it into action. Okay? So we receive that promise that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. So all of those things, once we have received Christ, once we have received the promise of the Spirit, we can say, hang on a minute, I'm redeemed from all of that stuff when that itch starts to come on you, you can say, no, wait a minute, I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. I'm redeemed from that because the Jesus' blood has paid the price. Do you see the connection I'm making there? In the garden, they lost all of the good stuff. It wasn't just access to God. It was health, it was peace, it was relationship, it was intimacy with God, it was provision, it was all of those things they lost when the curse came on the land. It's the same curse that when Jesus shed his blood, he has redeemed us from the curse of the law. All of those things by becoming a curse for us. That's what happened. So instead of us kind of receiving all of the um, penalties that would come upon us for our wrong choices, he took that penalty for us. He received it in his body as he hung on the cross, as his back was whipped, as the crowns were pressed into his head, as the spear was thrust into his side. All of that that he went through was him taking the penalty for the things, the wrong choices that we have made. He redeemed us. He paid, that's what redeemed means. It means paid the price. Okay, so he has paid the price, so we don't need to pay the price. That's the good thing. We are redeemed from the curse of the law because he has become a curse for us. 
And the good news is that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us, the blessings of the law and the blessings that were promised to Abraham. Um, So the presence of God with us no longer relies on our obedience to do the things in the law. We haven't got to kind of just make sure we dot every I and cross every T in the law and make sure we're good boys and girls. That doesn't cut it anymore. But actually what does cut it is faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in the price that he paid. We have to receive that by faith. It's not something that just comes upon us. It's a little bit like salvation. Salvation is not something that just automatically comes upon us, even though Jesus has died and shed his blood once and for all for every single person on the face of the earth. He has done that for them in order that we get the good stuff and be with God. But it doesn't automatically come upon us. You see, that's universalism. That's, that's a, a way of thinking that says, oh, it's okay, we can do whatever we want because everyone's going to go to heaven anyway because of what Jesus has done. But it doesn't say that. It says we have to receive it through faith. Jesus said that no man, he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He is the gateway through which we can approach the Father. It was his price that allows us back into relationship with the Father. Ooh, let that be light. Just getting a bit gloomy. Thanks, Al. So, so far so good. We're okay. We get the principle of what Jesus did on the cross, that actually it's a lot more than just salvation. There is a whole kind of package of stuff. Now, so, okay, why then is Phil not living in the fullness of it? Why are we actually still suffering under some of those things that are mentioned in the curse of the law? Not to, you know, just mention a few, but lending to many and borrowing from none... I have not quite entered into that one yet. I am still borrowing from some people. But actually the promises of God says we will lend to many and borrow from none. Why have we not stepped into that? And this is part two of what we're saying. And we're doing well. We are. Part one done. Part two. What can stop us from embracing these things? And, you know, this this actually came to me... (laughs) as I was waking up from a sleep earlier this week, I just kind of had this little dream, random dream, that can only have been God kind of giving me a kind of poke in the ribs and saying, look, get this, you need to understand this. He spoke to me about knowing our identity. And he told me to look at the story of the prodigal son. Now, okay, not... Not the whole story. The, the, the story of the prodigal son or the compassionate, loving father is a great story about how, you know, the younger brother went off and spent all of the loot and, on kind of wild living, but then was still received back. The father was still looking for him, still kind of, as soon as he came, ever so humble and said, oh, I've sinned against heaven and you and I'm not worthy to be called your son. The father ran and kissed him and and threw his arms around him, put a robe on his back and just wouldn't hear any of it, but restored him 
back into the family. That's a great part of the story, but that's not the bit I want to look at today. I want to look at the other brother, sometimes called the elder brother, uh, because I felt like God was speaking to me through it. You see, because when that young son came back, and when the father embraced him and started doing this kind of wild party, killing the, and the fattened calf and getting all the people in to celebrate, the elder brother came and said, hang on a minute, what's going on? And the servant said, oh, your young brother's back. He's been restored back. We're all celebrating. And he's going, what? And he goes up to the father and he says, and this, the story of this is in Luke 15, 29, if anyone's following along. It says, all of these years, the, the, the brother said to the father, all of these years I've slaved for you. I've never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. And yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, My dear son, you have always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. And there's, there's something in here. You know, that elder brother lived in the father's house, but he didn't realise what he had access to in the father's house. He lived in a slave mentality. It, the words came out of his own mouth. All these years I've slaved for you. He lived in this place of being a servant, being a slave, just being obedient without realising that actually he was a son. Now at the beginning of this story, when the younger son goes to the father and says, look, give me my share of the inheritance, I want to go off and live a little, you know. Um, it says the father split the inheritance between the two sons. So actually at that point there was some kind of transaction that went on where the elder brother received an inheritance in the same way as the younger brother did. And do you know that in Jewish law, the elder brother or the firstborn actually received twice as much as any of the following children. There was something special about the firstborn and that's probably why in all the stories of um, like with Jacob and, and all of that, there was this kind of battle going on over the birthright. You remember Jacob and Esau kind of doing this thing because they knew the birthright, that right to be known as the firstborn, there was actually some serious money behind it. You know, you actually got twice as much as anyone else. And so the elder brother had that, but he still didn't realise it because he comes with this poverty mentality, this slavery mentality, and says, oh, you've never given me anything. You've never allowed me even a little goat to have or a little party. I've just been working so hard. And the father just says, my dear son, you've always been with it. He commends him and says, you've been faithful. You've always been here. But don't you realise everything here is yours you could do what you want with it. It is possible to live in the Father's house and still not know what 
you have, what you are entitled to. We said at the beginning, all of the promises of God are received through faith. Faith is a belief, yes it's a belief, but it's also a confident expectation that you're going to receive something. It's something you kind of need to get inside yourself, which is why we keep rabbiting on about it. Which is why we keep coming with similar messages saying, look, this is the good stuff that is out there that we are entitled to. The good stuff of the kingdom. He has, Jesus has paid the price for it. He has done everything to break every single curse that came upon man when he went his own way. He has done everything that needs to be done. When he hung on the cross, his last words were, it's finished. Maybe he said, receive my spirit after that, I can't remember. But, but generally he said, it's finished, it's done. And what he meant was, there was no more to be done. There was no more work on his part to be done. He had done everything that he needed to do. Is that a growl of appreciation that is coming from that young devotee? It's possible to live in the Father's house without knowing the benefits. Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. These are the benefits. He forgives all our sins. He heals all our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit. He crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. He satisfies our mouths with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. These are some of the benefits of the kingdom, benefits of the Father. So, we need to know our identity as sons and daughters of the Father. We need to be assured that actually what he has done, he has done for us. That we who choose to receive by faith the gift that Jesus has given us are now living in the Father's house and have access to all the resources of the Father's house. All of the good stuff. Okay, let's just look. A couple more scriptures and then we'll finish off. Galatians 4, 7. So what am I saying, Paul says to the Galatians, what am I saying? What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery, under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. So there was a shift that happened when the father sent Jesus to die on the cross. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. There it is again. He has redeemed us from being under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit that calls out Abba or Daddy, Father, that you are no longer a slave, but you are a God's child. 
that fantastic song that we did at the end, no longer slaves, but sons and daughters of the living God. This is Paul explaining it. He kind of knows the details of a lot of the doctrine that is the Christian faith. In the letters that Paul wrote to the various churches, he details that out and explains how it works. And here, he's saying to the Galatians, this is how it works. You know, until Jesus came, yeah, you were under slavery, under slavery to law. You had to do this, this, this and this. But when Christ came, he redeemed us from the law. He paid the price. It says he came to fulfil the law. That was kind of finished, done, dusted, pushed out, and the new covenant was instituted in his blood, whereby we receive these things not through obeying the law, but through faith in him. If we will believe it, see, we find it very easy to believe for salvation because we've heard it from a number of sources and it doesn't kind of really cost us anything in a way. It doesn't cost us anything, it costs some people something to to express faith in Jesus but for us in this country it doesn't because we are a Christian nation David Cameron says so and God bless him God bless him I mean when these leaders make these declarations I think it has the power Um, but you know it doesn't cost us anything if you're in an Arab nation it really does cost you something and when you choose to get baptized quite often you're ostracized from the whole community but it doesn't cost us anything. We can believe it and we can say, yeah, okay, we're going to go to heaven. All of the other stuff has actually substance behind it. It wants to see some fruit in order to prove it. And so that level of faith, it needs to be a little bit more. But we believe it. We believe that this is the truth. This is the good news of the gospel. You can see it when Jesus went around on the earth. You know, you can look at what he did. Every time he met a sick person, he healed them. Every time he kind of bumped into someone oppressed by demons, he delivered them. He set them free. When he came across people that had been taken prematurely in death, he raised them from the dead. When he came across a storm that was threatening lives and threatening their progress across the lake, he calmed the storm. He kind of demonstrated the kingdom wherever he went. Okay? So here's another scripture, Romans 8, 16. For his spirit, that's Jesus, that's God, his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm, to confirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs or co-heirs of God's glory. Co-heirs with Christ of the glory of God. Now, what is the glory of God? We're talking about the glory of God at the moment. I read this verse in Isaiah 9. A time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. When Jesus, it was talking about the time, that's the bit where it goes on, now unto us a son is given, you know, and all of that stuff. Talk prophesying about the time that Jesus would come. But it talks that a time will come when that road that Jesus walked on will be filled with glory. Now, what was that glory? Was it a shimmery cloud? Not sure. It doesn't say that in the Bible. But the glory it does speak of is the sick getting healed, the dead being raised, the lepers being cleansed, the 
um, storms being calmed, all of these things, all of these things where he demonstrated the kingdom, that was the glory. Now, we, it says in Romans 8, are co-heirs with Christ. That means we're heirs together. So everything that he is entitled to, we are entitled to because we've been adopted into that family. We are brothers and sisters with Jesus. It's a really difficult thing to get your head round that we are co-heirs, but it puts us in equal status. That's why Jesus said to his disciple, these things and greater will you do because you're entitled to, because you're part of the same arrangement, part of the same price that had been paid. So we need to, I'm finished now, those are all my bits and it's 12 o'clock and oh my goodness, we've got time because I really wanted to spend a little bit of time praying this morning. I think it needs it. We need to really get this identity as sons and daughters of the living God, co-heirs with Jesus, brothers and sisters with Jesus. Okay, He has paid this amazing price on the cross. He gave up his life He went through the torment of everything that happened on the cross so that we could step into this good stuff. So that we could step into relationship with God, intimacy with God. We could know him. We could hear his voice. So that we could receive the healing. It says that by the stripes that he received on his back, we are healed. It prophesies that in Isaiah and it says it again in Hebrews that we might know the provision. You know, when Jesus came and all the people were hungry, 10,000 odd people, and he said to his disciples, feed them. And he fed them. That provision came at the right time. Salvation, that we can be restored into relationship with him. And more than anything, it is this peace, this shalom peace that they've been looking into just recently, that is so much more than peace and quiet. It is about kind of salvation, it's about healing, it's about wholeness, it's about provision, prosperity, it is like just general well-being. It's all the good stuff that I was reading out from Deuteronomy 28, the first part. That is what he has done for us, if we will receive it. Okay, let's stand. We're done, we're going to do praying. If anyone is kind of remotely associated with the ministry team in any way, can you please come out here and stand? Don the badges. Because I thought it would be good. Now, this this is the kind of uh, optional part where we can respond to some of these things. What I would like is uh, five different places where people can go. We want... One for healing, so if you've come with sickness in your body or pain in your body, then we need to accept that Jesus has paid the price for that, okay? And that healing is available. One for provision, if you are kind of under the cosh at the moment and you've got kind of troubles with debts and stuff like that, I believe Jesus has paid the price for that, okay? You need to sort yourselves out into these five groups, okay? And spread out around. Um, Who's going to do healing? Right, you you go over in that corner there, in a bit of space. Push the table back, Mark. Yeah.
Who's going to do provision? Okay, I'll come and join you on that one because we need to see a good breakthrough. So you stay right there by that speaker. That would be good. Presence and intimacy. If you feel like you would like to kind of just know more and break through into the fullness of knowing who he is, you're already a Christian. You've already sort of like taken that choice to say, yes, I accept the price that you've paid. Then... uh, This one's for you, but you want to know the fullness of that kind of intimacy, okay? So that can be over here. Av. And Robin and Pirko, you you guys do that. Salvation. I think Heather should do this one. Is that all right? And and anyone else? So kind of if you kind of hang out at the side in the front of the worship team there or something. Um, Can I just say something on that? Yes. I know you're in full flow of organising us. That's all right. But... I'm not a very good organiser. What you've heard Phil say today has been really the full gospel, what's known as the gospel of Jesus, the good news of, of the gospel. And if you're attending today and you think, oh, that's really the first time I've really heard that and... This is new to me, but I believe it, and I want in. Then I'm the one to come to. That's what he's saying by salvation, okay? And basically, I'll congratulate you, and we'll do a short prayer together. Thank you. Okay. So you'll be over that side. And then the last one is peace. Now, if you're suffering with anxiety or troubles or sleeplessness or any of that stuff, that is part of the gospel, okay. Now, I wonder if we might transplant a few people from over there. It looks kind of a bit heavy on the healing side. Um, and, and have peace kind of over that side. Wonderful. Go, go to Sheila. That, that can also be sort of healing as well, okay. So, if you want to too many out. of you. <laughs> that's all right. Keep it, keep, it, keep it spread out. No, that's it. That's it. Those are our five groups. So, we've got healing, provision. So, it's going healing, provision. I'll tell you what we'll do. Wave at me if you're praying for healing. Wave at us if you're praying for provision. Wave at us if you're praying for peace. Wave at us if you want to experience, you're praying for those who want to experience God, the presence of God and intimacy. Salvation. Yay, we got it. Go, and the worship team's going to think. Otherwise, if you need to get off, that's fine also. So, have a great Easter. Eat chocolate. You should have all received an Easter letter from us in your emails, but if you are not on email or you're visiting today and you'd like a letter to know what's coming up, they're at the information table.